This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I started last week speaking about God and how he created us. And I want to continue with that. And so what I'm going to do is I would like to do a brief recap on what we spoke about last week. And the reason it's it's really important is because when I start getting into stuff over and beyond that, it gives us an understanding as to why things work the, the way that they do and how they fit together. The thing is, it's kind of like a car. If you don't understand the mechanics of a car and how the car works, it's really difficult because sometimes your car is stumbling and stuttering and splattering. And it's like, okay, I know there's something wrong, but I don't know what it is. If you understand how a car works, you're able to open the hood, check in the engine, and you know exactly where to look. And so it's helpful for us to understand some of these things because there are times in the Bible where it starts speaking about an invitation to do certain things. And sometimes it says, renew your mind. And if we confuse our mind with our brain, we have a different expectation as to what God's looking for. So it's really important for us to understand the mechanics of our Christianity. I don't want to take a long time in it, but I do want to recap it because um, it it just becomes the foundation to things. If you want to get more detail, go and listen last week. It talks about in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it says that God created man of the dust of the earth and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living, says being, but it's actually a living soul a living soul. And there's some important things in there. First of all, God created man of the dust of the earth. When he said he created man, he was talking about those physical attributes and those things that define us as a physical being. He's talking about your body. He's talking about anything that is made of material substance, anything you can touch. That includes your brain. Your brain is a central processing unit that is designed to give you the ability to be able to process yourself in the context of the environment in which God created for us, the natural realm. Our brain is important, and so use your brain. He gave it to you. One of the things that's really important for us to understand is that God designed for us to operate successfully in two realms, not just to be spiritual beings or not just to be natural beings. We are to operate successfully in both realms. And sometimes I find what ends up happening is Christians have a tendency to fall into one realm or the other. They either tend to be very legalistic and it's all about the natural stuff and they have a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. And so we're all about form and what we do and how we live and it's very regimented. Or we end up with Christians that is, it's everything's about spirit and airy fairy and out there and, and it's, there is balance to all of those things. And so it's important for us to understand that God created us to live in both realms. What is his design to do it effectively? Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about God. Um, John chapter four, verse 24 says that God is a spirit. God is a spirit. As a spirit being, understand that God has the capacity that is mental. God has a mental capacity. He doesn't have an organ called a brain, but he has a mental capacity. God has the ability to be able to process stuff. It speaks about the fact that God knew the end from the beginning. He knew stuff. God has Um, he, he has feelings, he has emotions, God is love, God is able to express who he is, God is affected by the way that we respond to him or don't respond to him, God is an emotive being, all of those things are housed in God's mind, what we would classify as the mind, he's not just an amoeba floating around that has no sense of who he is and what he's about, So his sense of identity and who God comes from is as a result of God having a mind and the capabilities of that. So when God is sitting there and he had created man of the dust of the earth and man is lying there, body, brain, and it says God breathed into man the breath of life. He breathed into him spirit. And when he breathed into him spirit, it says man became a living soul. Soul is the same as spirit. But soul is spirit in the context of body. Are you okay? Okay. 
you can go and read about it. It speaks about when, when the, the spirit comes away from the body, the body dies and spirit goes to be with God, okay? The reason that although God has the capacities and capabilities to feel and to make judgments and to create and to all those, do all of those things, that God is never spoken of as a soul is because he doesn't have a body. That's why God is only ever spoken of as a spirit. That's why we talk about the Holy Spirit. You've never heard about him being the Holy Soul. He doesn't have a body. He's spirit. Spirit in the context of body becomes a living soul. Okay? It's very much like oxygen. Oxygen is a molecule. Oxygen stands alone and does its own thing. But if you put oxygen in the context of two hydrogen atoms, you end up with something called water. It's still oxygen. And if you heat that, what will end up happening is the oxygen will separate from the hydrogen molecules and will go back to being oxygen. It doesn't disappear. That's the same as man. When God breathed into man, God breathed into man and man became a living soul, spirit on the inside of who he is. His full capacity to be able to link to his body and his brain because he was designed to live in two realms simultaneously. So if we start to have a look in a little bit more detail as to what man is all about, begin to realize that God, uh, that man, if you look in the original Greek, it speaks about pneuma. Pneuma speaks about spirit. It's speaking about the spirit part to who man is. It is that part that gives man life. This is the part that relates to God. So when you get born again, what ends up happening is God comes and God makes all things pass away and all things become brand new. Your spirit ends up with the life of God on the inside. That's where the Holy Spirit moves into. The Holy Spirit's important in that space because all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit moves into that place, I have the capacity and the ability to be able to all of a sudden have communication, to have relationship with the Holy Spirit because he's moved into that place. The equivalent would be, if you have a look in the Latin, it's the word anima. Anima speaks about life and the ability to animate the body. That's what it is. That's what spirit is. Your spirit in that capacity is the life-giving force that you have. It also speaks about suke. Suke is what is birthed out of spirit and is sustained by spirit. What it is, is it's you. It's you, the person. It's what makes you and gives you your ego and your personality. It's what gives you differentiation to everybody else. It gives you the capacity to be able to develop who you are. In the Latin, it's the word animus. And it speaks about mind, the center of your being, mental processes. It becomes really important because the easiest way to think about that is think about it from a, that's your mind. That's your mind. So we have body, brain, God breathed into it. And it's not just a little bit of spirit that sits on the inside here. I believe when God breathed into man, I believe that spirit inhabits our being. We have spirit and we have mind. It's not an exact relationship, but for the point of analogy, I'll, I'll, I think it's just helpful. Mind is to spirit what brain is to body. Okay? Okay. Okay, so now we've got all, we understand the engine now. Okay, so now that we understand the engine, we're going to go into why the engine is important and how God uses those different mechanisms to get us to function effectively and how he wants us to be. We've kind of built the nest, and so it's important that we understand the structure of the nest because now when we begin to put stuff into the nest, we can process it in the context of understanding all of those different parts, and hopefully it'll begin to make more sense to us. <clears throat> Who are you? Who are you? Who we are becomes such an important part of being able to step into the future that we have and what we're about. 
The thing about it is, if you read the word of God, the word of God speaks repeatedly about who you are. It speaks about I and I and in, in many scriptures. Paul talks about it throughout the whole New Testament. I'm focusing more on the New Testament this morning. But you see the word I repeatedly. Who is I? When Paul says, I want to do the things, but I can't. Who is I? What is that? Was it born that way? Or is it something that comes into existence over time? How is it created? In Matthew chapter 7, it says, build your house on the rock. Build your house on the rock. There's a couple of interesting things that are important in that that I think I want to get us takeaways from that. I think the first thing is this. Build your house. What God is saying is, you never came into existence as a complete entity. You're in a construction process. You are busy defining who you are every single day. The challenge that we have as people is because we're, in a pro, because we're stuck in a construction process, the thing is you really want to have the best materials available all the time. What ends up happening is for a fair period of time for all of our lives and to varying degrees, and sometimes even after people become born again, they continue this way. It's called a carnal mind. What ends up happening is we're constructing who we are to the exclusion of God. So we've got a project that's on the go and we're using materials to construct who I am and I'm gaining an identity and I'm gaining a sense of feeling and I'm gaining some idea about what I believe and I'm gaining a, a, a foundation to my life that I'm establishing. But God's not always a part of that. And so it creates a situation for us because in some ways, even when we come into the truth of what God is beginning to open up, we recognize that we have to take some remedial action. Sometimes we have to go back to some of those parts that have constructed who we are and we need to basically just knock them down and rebuild. Okay? So the thing about it is, what's important is you are in the process of creating your identity. I'll tell you what's so wonderful about that. You are not stuck. You are not stuck. Anything that you're grappling with today, you are not stuck. You are not born that way and you cannot change. You are not born that way and so you're stuck in a ditch. You're not born away that way or were raised that way in your childhood and so there is no way out. There are options available. You have the potential and you have the opportunity to redefine who you are. So if we start having a look at the redefinition and the redefining of who I am, he says something else. Not only do you need to build but he says, build your house on the rock. There's a discussion that is very important there because he's talking about the materials that you build your life from. You cannot have construction without materials. You cannot get into a construction job and not have something there to make stuff happen. Everything comes from materials. Everything comes from ingredients. Everything comes from substance. You have got to have substance to build your life. What are you building your life on? What constitutes the substance for your life? There is nothing that happens to the exclusion of substance. In the natural realm, if you want to bake a cake, you need substance. Get some ingredients. Vivian loves baking. She never goes into the kitchen and goes, I'm waiting for the cake to arrive. She understands, I got to get ingredients. I got to know what it is that I'm wanting to create. I know what it is that I'm wanting to produce. And as a result of that, do I have the ingredients so that I can end up with what I'm looking for? If you want to build a car, you need materials. If you want to create a garden, you need plants and you need flowers and you need trees and you need shrubs. You need substance. Substance is not only tangible. Substance is also intangible. <clears throat> if you're looking for a job, they want to know what substance do you bring to the party. I'll remunerate you according to your substance. What kind of training do you have? 
Do you have a degree? Do you have teaching in this? How much experience have you got? What are they looking for? They're looking for substance. They're saying, if you want me to come in, if, you, if we want us to put you in this position, we want to have a look at you and we want to be able to evaluate what kind of substance you have. Because understanding the substance you have is going to give us an idea as to the contribution that you can make and the value that it translates into. And when we recognize that, what we'll do is we'll say to you, fine, we'll give you this package because we think that's what you're worth. Substance. It's about substance. The same can be said for our spiritual things. The same can be said for our natural development. It has to be based on substance. If you have no substance, I've got nothing to build on. It's no point telling somebody, you need to be confident. People know that. Who's going to say, I don't want confidence? Throw it away. What else you got? People know that they need, they need confidence. The problem with it is confidence without substance is no foundation. So the problem with it is I get the theory, I get the idea, but I've got nothing to build my life on. If you want to be confident, you've got to get some substance so that you can walk into confidence and live from that place. Are you with me? This is easy stuff. <laughs> Wait, we're going to get to the, we're going nuclear just now. No, I'm just kidding. We're not really. <clears throat> You've got to have some substance. Substance is what changes things. Substance is what opens up opportunities for us. Substance is what brings about transformation. Substance is really important in God's economy. Substance is important for me getting a definition as to who I am. Um, I think there was a scripture there that I wanted to pull out. Proverbs 23 and verse 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. When it comes to substance, there are going to be two basic areas where you can gain substance. The one area is going to be when you step into your brain and your brain has access to the natural world. Everything that comes in from that space brings with it substance. It has to do with my appraisal and the way that I look at things and the way that I value things, the words that people speak into my life, the circumstances and the situations that I've experienced my interpretation of events, the way that I feel, all of these things are contributors as far as the brain is concerned, and all of these things are giving intangible substance to who I am. Alternatively, what God says, now remember who you are, okay? Remember, you are brain, uh, sorry, you are mind, you are, you are okay, let me, you are a living spirit, okay? The essence of which is your mind, your processing ability. It has a brain and a body. So your mind has the ability to be able to access that realm and allow that to give definition to who you are. Alternatively, your mind has the ability to access the spirit realm and allow spirit to begin to give definition to who I am. I have two key avenues which I can use to add definition to who I am. <clears throat> As a man thinketh in his heart. What is he saying? He's saying your heart is the key issue to who you are. If you look at the original Hebrew for the word heart there, it says soul. What it's saying is, I'm taking you back to your mind. Your mind is the key place where you process thoughts. Your mind is the processing unit that's giving you definition as to who you are. And what it's saying is, the content that goes into that space, the substance that goes into that space is going to be processed by you. 
As you think, I'm regurgitating, I'm contemplating, I'm considering, I'm taking all of the substance that's been put on the inside of me and it's defining who I am and how I live. When you get definition as to who you are, it affects how you live. If you think of yourself as I'm not a particularly good person, if you have issues of self-confidence, for example, the thing with it is that's something which is an identity element which is established on the inside of you. And the result of that, when I begin to live from that, introduces me to a way of living. I don't like to have profile because I don't want to be in the limelight. Leave me back in the shadows. Leave me in the recesses. I don't want people to always see me. I want to be in that hidden space. I don't want to go into that place. Why? Because I'm conspicuous. I'm living from different substance here. I don't like doing certain things because I, unless I'm absolutely sure that not only can I do it, but I can do it perfectly, I don't like doing that stuff because the thing about it is, what are you going to say if I fail? What is it going to look like? I can't deal with that in that context. And so I find myself reticent and I find myself reserved and I find myself at a place where I don't step into everything that God has to me. And the challenge with it is very often when who I am is defined by something other than God, it creates a barrier for him using me. Because he wants you to do certain stuff for him. But I'm so aware of who I am. I'm so busy thinking about my reservations. I'm so busy thinking about those areas that make me feel uncomfortable and incomplete. I can't step into what he wants me to do. That has a much bigger emphasis in my life and carries more weight than the invitation. So who I am is really important, not only to who I, what I'm about, but how I function and how I operate in life. The challenge, I think, with many Christians is that they are too self-defined as opposed to God-defined. What I mean by that is this. You were the mind, born a spirit, living soul, sitting in that space. But because I grew up with it and because I'm comfortable with it, I always go to my brain to get definition as who I am. What does my environment tell me? Those voices of influence, what do they say to me? How do I feel about myself? And you know what's so funny? It's not in a way that is dismissive or not born out of love, but that makes absolutely no difference in God's economy. God has defined you to be a different way. God has defined you to be the person that he's designed you to be. I knew you before I formed you in the womb. I knew who you were supposed to be. You don't know! And neither does anybody else. But we allow everything in the world to start giving definition to who I am rather than going back to the author and saying, God, speak to me about this. You're not going to find the author in your brain. You're not going to find the author in your body. You're not going to find the author in your world. Take your thinking, take your mind, and I need to engage my spirit. It's why spiritual communication becomes so indifferent and so, so important. Because if I can't go to him, I don't have an opportunity. I don't create a channel or a bridge into my life for him to make impartations that begin to define who I am. And then I live from a personal design, not a God's design. Matthew, um, sorry, John chapter 17 says, it's, it talks a, a bit about a whole bunch of stuff, but the essence of what it's saying is this. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. He's cautioning you. It's another way of inviting you, and what he's really saying to you is, guard your heart. Watch that space. 
You're in something that I created for you to live in. You're in a domain that I created for you. But you are to have influence in that space. I never invited that space to come and define who you are. Because you end up looking like your world. As Christians, we were never designed to look like our world. Anytime we respond to situations the way the world would, it makes no difference. Our responses to everything should be motivated not by our brain, but by our spirit. And in that context, you are going to look peculiar. Because when people persecute you and people are ugly to you, you're supposed to slap them. You don't turn the other cheek and you don't love them. It's peculiar. Why? Because I'm not a conformist. Something different about me. I can live from a different place. I don't see life the way you see life. Why? My mind is different. My mind is different. And it's interesting because when you start to go through the word of God, what you begin to discover is that the word of God is peppered with all kinds of invitations. Things that are far more loaded than we realize. You're to be the salt and the light. You know what he's saying? He's placing a demand on the substance of your life. That's what he's saying. I can't be salt and life and light if I don't have it in me. What he's saying is, I'm calling you into your true identity. I'm inviting you into something different. I'm saying to you, if you go into situations and you look and behave and carry on like everybody else, there's no salt and light. There's substance missing. Where's the substance? You are to be salt and light. Where's the substance? It's an invitation for us to take a check, to take stock of our lives and say, hold on a minute. Something's not right here. I look and feel like everybody else. I don't like that feeling. I like to be exclusive. I should feel different because I should view it different. I'm missing something. Help me, Holy Spirit, show me what's wrong here. Speak to me. Speak to me. Everything you put your hand to shall prosper. It's placing a demand on your substance. I don't know about you, but not everything I do works out well. I know, Raph, it's a shock to me too. A big disappointment. But there's a point to it. It's placing a demand. It's placing a demand on where is the substance. When it comes to moving into situations and circumstances, making decisions when it comes to business dealings, understanding and having wisdom in in different environments. The thing about it is, are they all working out or not? Why? It's placing a demand on substance. Where's the substance? Are you living from what you know? Or am I in a different space where I'm allowing the spirit to have influence in me that put something inside of me that I never had, something inside of me that I couldn't get from myself and it begins to redefine who I am. Who we are and what we're all about becomes so important. And so now we start to have a look at this and we start to recognize, okay, fine. If substance is something that begins to define me and substance becomes important, then practically looking at the engine, how do I begin to build who I am? Not so that I am the author and the finisher, but so that God is the author and the finisher. How do I begin to get God's substance in my life and so that I look like him and not like myself? I'm glad you asked. I want you to open your Bibles to um, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be made new by the renewing of your mind. What did he say? Renew what? You have to say that one more time. I missed it. He didn't say your brain. Your brain is not going to be, oh, no, that's another story. I'll deal with that next week. But the point is, he's more concerned about your identity in this space. And what he's saying is, 
in that, in, in that moment when, when you get born again and the Spirit of God comes and moves into the spirit realm, what he's saying is, I'm looking for you to be made new in your mind. Don't go to the brain, come to me. I'm living in that space. My Holy Spirit is there, is looking for opportunity. God doesn't, oh, hold on, I can't get there yet. Um, but he understands that even where we are right now, our disposition is towards the natural realm. Okay? Because you're natural. It doesn't mean that the spirit doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that the spiritual element and contribution doesn't exist. But the emphasis and the focus of your life right now is natural. One day you will die and spirit will come out of body. And when spirit comes out of body and goes to be with him, then the focus of your life will be spirit. Okay? But because it's natural right now, God understands that. And because he is such a loving God, what he wants to do is he wants to create every opportunity for us to be able to encounter him. And so he gives us something called the word of God. You know where the word of God comes from? I'm glad, glad you asked. <clears throat> the word is made flesh and dwelt among them. It was the introduction of the Logos. I'm looking, we're looking, we're in New Testament now. Why was Jesus the Logos and not the Rhema? Because he was accessible to the brain and the body. And in that capacity, when you touch Jesus the man, you were dealing with Logos. When you interfaced with the Christ, you were touching spirit. Where was I going with this? So he gives us the Logos. The Logos is the written word of God. The written word of God is a wonderful thing because when you begin to get into the written word of God, what it does is it begins to open up for us possibilities. It begins to speak to us about what God is all about. It begins to show us who he is. It begins to give us illumination as to who um, he's created us to be and how we should be and the life that he wants for us to live. It's a wonderful thing because it creates on the canvas of our brain, an opportunity to see who God is. Those are good things. The thing about it is this. Everything that you gain from the Logos is information. Because it's going where? And information and a reservoir of information is knowledge. But knowledge doesn't change you. Knowledge doesn't do anything. Unless I'm able to make the transition from Logos to Rhema, what ends up happening is I end up as a Christian who lives by knowledge. God never called us to live by knowledge. He called us to live from becoming. He's saying the invitation and the knowledge is there to create a canvas and to give you a vision of possibilities. But the vision of possibilities become a reality when they begin to redefine who you are. Now I'm getting down to substance. What he's saying is I'm not as concerned about a substance called information because it's not transformational. I'm interested in a substance called revelation because revelation carries with it the power to transform who you are. So when I get the logos and I understand all of those things, I hear the voice of Jesus and what does he say to me? He says, I'm so happy and I'm so proud of you because you're so excited about discovering more of me. And so you've got into the scriptures and these are the scriptures that testify of me. But you do not come to me that you may have life. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, you're living by the Logos, you're living by your brain, you're living by your body, and that will give you information and it'll ultimately translate into knowledge. But if you really want to experience that, if you want that to redefine who you are, you have to move beyond the Logos, you have to move beyond the written word, and you have to step into the spoken word. When I, my mind, sits and says, fine, I got something from my brain, I got the Logos, but now I'm going to spirit. Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, you're on the inside of me. And I want you to take and I want you to give me a revelation of what this truly means. I need for you to do an impartation to me. Give me something that'll change my being. Give me substance that'll redefine who I am. In Genesis, in creation, says God says and it was 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 what is he doing God is using words to impart substance to bring about transformation God uses words to transmit to communicate to to move substance which is of a spiritual nature and to do an, an impartation of that Words are important. Rhema in the original Greek is about the spoken word of God. What it's saying is when we begin to develop relationship with God, what ends up happening is I move beyond logos, which is getting the word in my brain. Logos is kind of, it's like logical. It's taking the things of God and making it logical so I can assimilate it and put it into my brain. But it's an invitation to step into the rhema, which is the spoken word of God. Because when I get into that place, what ends up happening is there is an impartation that takes place. There is a way that God, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, something happens on the inside of me that gives birth to substance on the inside of me. And I just know it. It's not something that's born of reason or logic or understanding or experience. It's something that's born of God. Let me give you an example. The centurion, he's got a servant who isn't well. And so what he does is he decides, I've heard about Jesus, Logos. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard what Jesus can do. The Logos has extended an invitation to me. I know that there are possibilities that exist. I know that there's potential that's out there. Let me go and let me get with Jesus because the Logos has told me what could happen. And he comes and he says to Jesus, I'll tell you what, the Logos has brought me here. I'll tell you why, because I want you to heal my servant. And Jesus says, let it be unto you according to your will. Let me come with you to come in. And ah! What happened? Jesus said something to him. What did Jesus impart to him? He imparted a confidence and a trust that was established on the inside of him. And he said, that's all I need. All I needed was that impartation because what you gave me was enough for me to stand on. What you gave me was enough to sustain me in things. If you said to me, it'll happen that way, that's all I need to know. It's good, it'll happen. That's what happens when you go and we get together with God. Because when we get together with God, what we want to do is we want an impartation. We want something that's birthed on the inside of us. It's not a word. Don't look for words with God. God doesn't operate that way. God's form of communication is to be able to take the things of who he is and impart it to us through intuition. Very often, I just feel something on the inside of me. There is sometimes where you will have a sense of knowing and a sense of confidence. It's like, I just know what it is. Abraham, God said to him, I will make you a father of many nations. There was an impartation that went there. It was spiritual in nature. It wasn't something that was emotional and was the high of the moment and, and Abraham was, oh, that's great. Oh, wonderful. Because emotions are going to dive. And if it's emotions, the problem is when emotions dive, everything dissipates. It was a spiritual impartation. There was something on the inside of him. There was something birthed within his mind that was of God. And he could hold on to that through everything that happened over the next 20 years until he had a son. Why could he do that? Because I had something that was imparted to me. The Logos is the menu. If you go into a restaurant, what they give you is a menu. They give you, this is our offering. And so you have a look at the drinks and you have a look at the starters and you have a look at the main course and you have a look at desserts and you check the fish and the chicken and the beef. And what do I feel like eating? The 
the menu is the Logos, it speaks to us about possibilities. It speaks to us about what is available. Don't spend your life memorizing the possibilities. Do you know what I discovered in the mains? Have you checked out the desserts? They have great cocktails. That's wonderful. But the thing is, unless you place an order and actually get to eat the food, it's immaterial. The rhema is when the steak on the plate arrives in front of you and you get to eat it. Up until that point, you don't have rhema. What we have is logos. There are too many Christians who live from a developing a knowledge of God rather than being born of God. A knowledge of God is always intended to lead us to a birth of something on the inside of who we are. What is born on the inside of you? Revelation speaks about something born on the inside of you. Something called faith. What is faith? Faith is whatever you're looking for. There? It is. God gave me something. Substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. What is he saying? He's saying, I can do something in your life and I can birth something in your life if you'll allow me because I'll impart substance to you and that substance will begin to redefine who you are. That's how you renew your mind. That's how you begin to step into something new. I need his words. So there's this interesting little thing called beliefs. And if you have a look at Um, Mark chapter 9, verse 23, it says, Jesus says to them, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Beliefs are interesting. You see, beliefs are of me. Beliefs are not of God. Faith is of God. Faith is an impartation. It's substance that God gives to me. I need for God to open his mouth and speak to me. I will do it. I need God to open his mouth and sit and say, I shouldn't actually say that. I need God to communicate to me effectively a sense of knowing, a sense he needs to birth that on the inside of me. But belief is not of God. Belief is of me. Belief really gets down to what are the fundamental Um, texture. What are those things that give definition to my mind? Not my brain, my mind. It's kind of the building blocks of your identity. Now your beliefs can be built of two different things. Your beliefs can be built by your brain or your beliefs can be built by your spirit. When Jesus says all things are possible to him that believes, there are some people who sit and say, I don't believe that healing's for today. And you'll get what you want. You will get what you say. But where did that come from? Because it never came from God. So what happened was I took who I was and I moved it to a space where I allowed people of influence to make some deposits into my life. And for whatever reason, whether it was intentionally or just you know, out of error, part of the denomination that I was in, I allowed those people to have access to that space. And so they put something into my life that gave definition to my beliefs. When my beliefs are incongruent with God, I end up in trouble because I never walk into what God has for me. Beliefs are the foundation to our life. And what God is sitting saying is, if you will allow me to inform and give, allow my substance to define the beliefs of your life, you will become a person of faith. You will become a person who has their foundation established on the substance of God. It'll change the way you live because what will end up happening is you move into spaces and you begin to recognize what your purpose is. If I believe that by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed and I get to a place where I start experiencing symptoms, I recognize purpose. Hold on. 
my world, my environment, my body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, is experiencing something that's incongruent to my beliefs. So what's got to give? What's got to give? I'm recognizing purpose. My purpose in that space is to sit and say, no, I'm going to take this into that space and I'm going to live in the expectation of transformation. I'm living in the expectation of influence. I've discovered purpose. We discover purpose when we begin to get redefined by who he is. Because as we move into environments, we begin to see people in a different light. And we see the opportunities to make impartations. Because I'm light and salt. I've got something to give all of a sudden. I can make you feel better about you who you are. Not because of who I am and because I'm so nice and because I scratch your head and tell you a nice joke. But because I have something spiritual on the inside of me. And when I impart that to you, what ends up happening is something that resonates on the inside of you. Because it didn't come from me, it came from something deeper. In... Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. What is he saying? He's saying, your mind, don't go to brain and body. What he's saying is the kingdom It's within you. Unless a man get born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The moment that you got born into the kingdom of God, what ends up happening is the spirit of God and the fullness of the kingdom moves in. The ability to be able to participate and partake of the kingdom is available and accessible to you. What are you seeking first? What is the priority of your life? Are you intentional about sitting saying, I'm building my identity. I'm building who I am. I'm creating a new person. I'm getting rid of some stuff that I accumulated over uh, the, the time. I, I'm, I'm jettisoning, I'm, I'm going to jettison some, some garbage that I collected before I met with God because what I'm doing is I'm replacing that with better substance. I'm becoming somebody new. I'm becoming the person that God intended for me to be. I'm stepping into that. I'm being intentional about setting priorities for my life. I'm not going to my world or my feelings or my thoughts or any other voices or any experiences. That stuff's all going to happen. I don't care. It's just my brain. Your brain is an organ and a tool that's available to you. You are not your brain. You can switch it off. It's a tool. It's like when you sit at your computer and you get a virus and it comes up. And it's like, okay, I got a virus. It's not me. It's my computer. Separate yourself from your brain. You are not your brain. Everything that you feel, everything that's happening in your world, it doesn't mean that it's not real and it's not carrying on. Of course it is. Just don't let it define you. Seek first the kingdom. I'm intentional. Why? Because the kingdom represents a treasure chest of substance. Kingdom is a treasure chest of substance. When I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, what he's talking about in that is he's sitting saying, how are you defining yourself? Righteousness speaks about being in right standing with God with regard to a particular thing. You are righteous because when you got born again, you have the life of God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about renewing your mind. In renewing your mind, you're going to encounter different experiences and different iterations and expressions of things. Healing. Okay, so how do I get established in God's design for healing? Renewing our mind is not a one-time event. It relates to every situation that we go through. It's it's defining and discovering what God's plan is in that space. I have to move into that and so that I can realize what it is and step into that. It's very similar to if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You know what he's saying? It's the same thing. He's saying, your mind, your mind, if your mind abides 
in spirit, not brain, not body. Don't go there. If your, brain, if your mind abides in me, that's resident on the inside of you, and you allow my words, the substance of who I am, my speaking, my transmission and my communication of the substance of who I am to be imparted to you so that it's established on the inside of you. All these things will be added unto you. Why? Because I'm moving to a place, not because I'm, I, I'm, I'm living independently of God and running off with some weird whatever. It's because I'm recognizing the fact that my life is a relationship between him and I. And I'm living in a space where I no longer want to be defined by information and knowledge. I'm developing a space where my life is defined by relationship and revelation. What's defining the substance of my life is God's substance, something called faith. And so as I begin to move through life, I feel different about things. I see things differently. I move into life with purpose. I move into spaces where I make impartations. Why? Because I'm taking that which is of me and putting it into that environment. Confession doesn't just work because you open your mouth and say anything. You can say whatever you want as many times as you want. It's not going to happen. Confession is birthed out of the truth of what God says. What substance are you taking and imparting into a situation? That's what confession is all about. And the thing about it is, if all I have is information and knowledge, and I don't have faith substance imparted by God, I'm trying to do the things of God and live by the things of God from my brain. And so I really don't have spiritual substance to make it happen. And I end up frustrated in my Christianity and I don't really know why. It's because I'm living out of here. But I know everything. I can tell you the verses and I go to churches and I, I, I listen to, to, I need to say tapes because that ages me. <laughs> I listen to, to TED Talks. <laughs> Podcasts. And, I, and I, I do all of these things and I know all of this stuff and I can tell you anything that you want to know. I know the principles and I know how it operates. But there's nothing. There's nothing. You know why? The spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Don't live with the menu. The menu is an invitation to encounter. The menu is an invitation to sit and say, come into the space where I live. If you want to meet with God, you've got to go into his realm. It means my mind goes to spirit. My mind doesn't go to brain. It's different for us. And this is part of what Christianity is all about. I'm learning to operate because I understand the fact that the mechanisms that define who I am are a little bit different to what I originally knew. I'm very adept and I'm very comfortable in the mental arena. I'm comfortable in a space where I'm able to assimilate information and knowledge and gain experience. I can do all of that stuff. But when you start talking about getting into spiritual things, I'm opening a door to a whole new arena. Spiritual truths are not complicated, but they're just not easy. It takes dedication. It takes commitment, it takes hunger, it takes practice, and it takes intentionality. It's understanding the fact that, you know what, God's not going to speak to me the way that we use communication in words. So I start changing my means of communication so that I'm looking for God to place on the inside of me impressions, inspiration. I just feel something. Have you ever had that sense? You, you, it's like some options are available to you and it's like, I know that looks good. It just feels bad. What's happening? God's kind of like, I'm about to use my finger to write on the wall. I'm telling you, don't do it. And so part of what it is, it's learning how to use and interface with God at a different level. I'm not using language. I'm allowing him 
to use the intuitive side to who I am, and I'm starting to place more weight and emphasis, starting to gain definition in that space. Part of the reason that the Logos is important is because the Logos, which goes into the brain, gives you an understanding of who God is. So it puts up some safeguards and some rails. That's important. Because the thing is, when you start to explore this arena, it's important to know that you're safe. The reason that the Logos is valuable because it, it creates a safeguard. So you know God operates like this. So if you start something happening and it's out there on, in left field, it's like, I'm telling you that's not God. That's where the Logos is valuable. If you get into weird stuff trying to catch the Holy Spirit in the sheet and stuff, okay, you, you, you're way off. The Logos will keep you grounded. It'll keep you stable. And it gives you the opportunity to be able to explore in confidence, knowing that I can move into that space and begin to, to, to be intentional about, I, I want to feel his influence in that space. If we want to move forward in the things of God, which I believe is so vital for not only who we are, but your families, we live in a, a very topsy-turvy, upside-down world. You can't be with your kids all the time. And when if they go off to sports and go off to school, go off to college, you, you need to know that there's some stuff put on the inside of them that's solid enough that in that environment, they're secure. But it's not only for us. We need to change the world. You're not going to change the world because of what you know. We've got plenty of people who know a whole bunch of stuff. You don't need to be born again to know a whole bunch of stuff. The thing about it is, do you have spiritual substance that you can impart in places? Are we beginning to place a demand on the substance that not only defines us, but that is of the kingdom, so that I can begin to stretch my Christianity so that I don't only live in a comfortable space of what I know, but I began to dabble in that area called the supernatural. My life in relationship with him, where he can do some things I can't do. He's not limited by my boundaries. I want to talk next week. Now, I was going to do next week's message this week, and then the Holy Spirit changed everything. But I want to talk next week about the problem with your brain. The problem with your brain. And your brain, if you're born again, your brain is a big problem. And I'll explain to you why it's a problem and how you overcome it. But it was the biggest issue that Paul had was his brain. Because the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. It never came from his mind. It came from his brain. And he discovered... Oh, never mind. I'll tell you that next week. <laughs> um, I'd like you just to please all bow your heads, close your eyes, and I just want you to put your hands out in front of you. I'm going to pray for you now, and I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to begin to either introduce you to or to strengthen your relationship in the spiritual arena. If it's a place you've never gone, if it's a place you've never felt as though you found any traction, if it's a place that perhaps is foreign to you, I would encourage you to be intentional about it. The only way that you can do it, it's like riding a bicycle. You don't get on the bike once, and if it doesn't work, I never get on again. I get on the bicycle and I begin. And after a while, I, it's like, okay, I, I've got this. I've got a bit of momentum here. Things are happening. Be intentional about it. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for every person that's represented here today.
I want to thank you for the design and the plan that you have for each one of their lives. I want to thank you, Father, for people who were designed and intentioned to be peculiar because they were defined by your substance. I know that everything that is imparted from you is imparted through your spirit. And Father, I just pray that as them, the person, the mind, begins to move from their comfort realm of interfacing with the brain and the body, and they move to a space where they begin to engage with you on the inside of them. I want to thank you right now, Holy Spirit, that you'll meet them in that place. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you're the teacher, that you will lead them and that you will guide them. And I want to thank you that you will begin to interface with them, communicate with them, in ways that begins to resonate and they begin to get some traction living from a different place. I thank you for stretching us. I thank you for opening the doors for us to receive substance that redefines us. I pray blessing on every person. I pray protection of every person. Pray prosperity over every person. In Jesus' name.